Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Mystical Matchmaker Podcast. I'm Marla Martinson, a crystal-loving, tarot-slinging, matchmaker, author, and energy healer. I'm here to inspire you to heal the past, live in the moment, and put some magic and fun in finding your soulmate. This is a place where we talk about all things love, light, how to make your dreams come true, and awaken to your authentic self by consciously creating your reality. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome to the Mystical Matchmaker Podcast, and happy summer solstice. Yes, this is being recorded June 21st, 2019, and on the June solstice, solstice, the North Pole is tipped more towards the sun than on any other day of the year, and uh, I was just looking up some facts on National Geographic, National Geographic, and so I just thought there were some interesting things. Uh, You know, the Earth isn't any closer to the sun on the summer solstice. Uh, A popular misconception is that during the summer, and especially during the solstice, Earth is closer to the sun than at other times of the year. In reality, the tilt of the Earth has more influence on the seasons than does our planet's distance to the sun. During the northern hemisphere summer, we're actually farthest from the sun. So there's just so many interesting things about it. you know, famously Stonehenge in the United Kingdom has been associated with the winter and summer solstices for about 5,000 years. Archaeologists have discovered the remains of an astronomical observatory in a long-buried Maya city in Guatemala in which the buildings were designed to align with the sun during the solstices. That's kind of a tongue twister. During such times, the city's populace gathered at the observatory to watch as their king appeared to command the heavens. And the Incas of South America celebrated the corresponding winter solstice with a ceremony called Inti Raymi, which included food offerings and sacrifices of animals and maybe even people. So there's a lot of uh, mystery and ritual around the solstice. So I hope you do something fun and magical today. And I have a very magical guest for you today. This is something really different. Her book is really fantastic. Um, I have author Hillary Ramo with me, and Hillary is a leading voice in the industry since 2005. She's been heard on Achieve Radio as the host of the Hillary Ramo Show for over a decade. She brings powerful information to listeners without the gratuitous showmanship and partisan censorship too often found in mainstream media. Her topics have included really cool stuff like alternative health, ancient history, UFO research, whistleblowers on a variety of topics, ancient history, UFO research. Uh, The book is a compilation of conversations with some of the most intriguing guests on the planet on a variety of subjects relevant to the world we're in today. She asks the questions that engage her guests in mind-bending, synergistic conversations that will entertain, engage, and educate readers to such extraordinary heights as to make them question much more about their world today and leave them 
asking for more. With a background in business and healing arts, Hillary brings a unique mixture of spiritual and intuitive insight into a variety of topics, and her guests are always excited to return and share the conversation space with her. Now the world can read many of the life-altering stories she has elicited from the minds of those whose voices we so need to hear, and her book is called the Hillary Ramo Show transcripts, and I'm going to bring her on. Welcome, Hillary. Hello. Hi, Marla. Thanks so much for having me. What a pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. I was, you know, I've been reading your book, and it's just so cool. I listened to a lot of, you know, Coast to Coast AM and a lot of the uh, uh, shows that have all of these guests and topics, and it's so cool to have like this compilation here in a book that you could just open up, you know, at night before you go to sleep and read all of these fascinating topics. So, um, how did you, how did you choose the 20 conversations in this book out of like 700 plus hours of, of recordings that you did? Well, it wasn't easy. Let me tell you, <laughs> it was quite an adventure <laughs> to get this book into print. Um, I really enjoyed all of my guests over the years. I had a lot of really great, wonderful, fabulous, fantastic people on, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I started in 2005 on terrestrial radio here locally in upstate New York near Albany, and uh, after two years of that, I moved over to online radio because it was just starting to really become popular, and we had a lot of great venues, and and uh, people were, were giving uh, wonderful opportunities for people like myself to switch over to an online streaming. Now, you know, everybody does it and it's everywhere. So I was really excited to get into it when it was early on. So over the years, I, I pick and um, pick very carefully and chose my own guests and booked them myself. And I was really proud of that. So really what I did was whoever I wanted to talk to, especially keeping up with current events over the years, who was talking about what it was really fun to find them and actually get them on the air and talk to them. And I'm sure you can relate to that as a radio host. And um, so it was really actually hard to pick 20 to fit into a book, but nobody has ever done this before that I know of anyway, um, where they have alternative media shows for a period of time and then uh, take the content and put it into print. So this was a really interesting project because, you know, you know, we're living in a time where online means a lot of different things and content can get lost in the landfill, so to speak. And we, we really just don't have a way to ensure that the content, the files and all of these things are safe, can't be erased or deleted or, you know, not necessarily in a nefarious way, but often these platforms go out of business or they change and things happen. So I was really happy to find the ability to say, oh, let's put this into print and preserve it in a way that is a little different than what most people are doing. So I chose the 20 conversations according to really where we're at now so that these conversations could provide a sense of extraordinary hindsight into the industries or the topics that they, my guests talked about and, and readers could then flow to their way through and digest some of this information and reading is much different than listening because when you're listening to radio, you're listening to the voice, you're listening to the personality shine through the filler words, all the things that come in with live radio. But when you're reading a book, you get to stop. You get to maybe go look that up or you just get as much in as you can for the moment. You go back, you think about it. It's a little bit different process. So that was the feedback that I got from readers. 
versus listeners. So I found that really helpful, and I also agreed with them because in editing the book and writing it and going through it and, and really putting it together, it was it was really even surprising to me that these, I, I saw things in these conversations that I hadn't necessarily remembered in actually having the conversation. So it was fun and exciting, and I felt that it was really relevant to what was going on. So I chose the 20 conversations really according to where we're at now. book came out last year, 2018. We have a lot of stuff going on on the world platform. So these conversations, mm-hmm. I felt, aided in a deeper understanding of something important that the readers would say, no, nobody else has said that. Could that be true? And then they opened up their minds and, and the abilities and the curiosities and the possibilities to be able to go back and say, let me take a deeper look at that. So I hope and I think pretty sure I accomplished that. So that's, that's the 20 conversations were really chosen based on the topics and the importance and relevance. And they were put into a very specific order in order to take the reader through uh, windows in time, like a time machine, like a time capsule. Right. And you start with David Icke, which is uh, so, so fascinating. And you've got, um, uh, Dr. Stephen Greer, and I mean, just you know, fantastic uh, topics here, ufology, and all of this kind of stuff. Um, so, how did your conversations with these leading UFO, UF, we say ufologists, <laughs> change your perspective <laughs> on our cosmic connections? Because there's a lot of uh, um, conversation about that in there, which I just find fascinating, and I've been seeing in the news lately um, on the internet how they're, the um, senators now and our government's being briefed by the Navy and things about their UFO sightings, and uh, so I think it's a really cool topic, so so tell me a little bit about, you know, because you really dove into it with some of these guests. I spent a few years doing UFO research and topics. I interviewed a, a plethora of people in the industry, I, and I did interview the, the experts and the, quote, whistleblowers and some of the more well-known people. But I did also interview experiencers and people that had had their own adventures and stories that weren't necessarily well-known or, you know, you wouldn't see them on CNN or you wouldn't see them on the, you know, ancient aliens or anything like that. But, you know, I felt that I needed that mix in order to really give my listeners um, a well-rounded perspective into the, the topic. What I did find also is that the UFO industry is just that. It's an industry. You know, in the book, I put Dr. Stephen Greer, but I also put, uh, Phil Corso Jr., whose father was famous for writing uh, the Roswell book. So we have, we have some high-profile figures in the book, and their conversations are important and worthy. But I also, you know, personally, when I was doing these shows, I realized that there is so much information. It's almost like if you go into the topic of UFOs, you better bring a life vest. So you can float around at the deep end of the ocean and not drown or get eaten by sharks. So you have this really interesting, complex subject that, um, you know, you immediately realize that either some people have written either 20 plus books on the topic and everybody's interviewing them. And so they must know what they're talking about. But you also have a lot of shady, darker stuff going on in the UFO industry because, 
there are it's very competitive on uh, how you see mm. things, the perspective. Um, I did not take the perspective that aliens are bad and eventually we're going to have to defend ourselves from them. Dr. Stephen Greer is yeah. really notorious for not taking that perspective too. And there is a lot of pushback from other people in the industry, platforms, um, things of that sort, that they really don't for some reason want the message that our cosmic neighbors are friends or maybe they bring something good to the table because there is a tremendous budget behind the fact that this would be a military wet dream come true, excuse me, but mm. it's true. Yes. And, you know, there's tons of money, tons and tons of money that we're talking about and military buildup and technology and all this stuff. So I'm, I, I kind of walked away from doing these shows and, and went into a different direction after a couple of years because uh, it became really clear where I stood on the subject and I wasn't taking sides with certain perspectives and that caused a lot of ruffled a lot of feathers and people didn't like it but too bad so I, I was never one to be um, pushed and swayed by the opinions of others or how where the popular stance was so I, I really try to be fair in my reporting on the subject and in choosing my guests. I think I did a good job. I, I have mixed feedback from people, but it's okay. Everybody gets on a side when they go into this subject, and everybody starts to regurgitate information. And I think it's kind of ironic that, you know, most of our information comes from the military-industrial complex versus the indigenous cultures. And if you go into the indigenous cultures, you realize really quickly they have an enormous background in star beings and they have lots of myths and stories that have been passed down generation after generation after generation that talk about these encounters with off-world intelligences, some of them which mm -hmm. they say live here on the planet, you know, quietly and, yeah. and privately and hidden away. And their stories are much nicer their their interactions are much much more friendly they have much right. a much different taint on it so anyway my experience with the ufo stuff was that you know the further you went back before roswell you got into the indigenous uh -huh. cultures you started to realize that maybe things are not you know like what we see on the movies where it's you know gear up the military and shoot them down and kill them all um, so right. there's two really distinct messages going on there. So we have to be careful which one we side with, I think. Yes. Yeah, they like to talk, people like to talk about reptilians and this and that and all the, you know, danger. and, and um, Yeah, it's usually I when like they're talking things. about their ex-boyfriends or their ex-partners. <laughs> oh, he's a reptilian. Oh, my God. I hate him so much. <laughs> or that person is We're horrible. The they must be planet. a reptilian. <laughs> I like Oy. to think they're up there helping us and going to stop the nukes and kind of disarming things. And, you know, that would be great if they could. Uh, I like yeah. to just think of them as the protection, you know. Um, and why don't they ever abduct so, the horrible leaders of the world? That's my question. Oh, they abduct exactly. everybody. Yeah. But they don't take the bad people up and off planet. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Can't, there must be somewhere they could drop them off, you know. <laughs> drop them off on Mars. Or Saturn or somewhere else, right? That Gosh. sounds good. That's a great idea. Let's uh, we try to do some communication there and ask him to, to do that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, and you know, um, you do talk about how um, 
the internet's completely controlled and monetized and, yes. um, you know, all of that. And um, also you talk about how the alternative media helped our president, Donald Trump, get elected. How Can you talk about yes. that a little bit? How did they Absolutely. Al- alternatively get that done? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's really important. One of the, because I was so involved with all this, you know, social media is relatively new. It didn't really happen. Facebook didn't come on the scene until about 2008. So this mm-hmm. is all really new territory for all of us, right? And there's so much talk yeah. about how social media platforms are uh, manipulated and, and we have algorithms that are controlling what gets seen and what doesn't. Right. Now we have the talk of community hate speech and this and that. So I've really watched a lot of this happen. In 2016, I was, do, I was hosting a politically oriented show. And one of the, it actually, one of the chapters in the book is from that podcast. That was on, um, uh, that was a podcast with the, the head counsel of the ACLU on data privacy. Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting chapter in the book. So um, I was talking to all these people. I was watching the campaign, you know, the Donald versus Hillary uh, saga. And um, I I had a different perspective on it because I realized really fast that everybody was taking sides. And the minute everybody takes sides, it's really difficult to get any kind of middle ground perspective. Or, you know, you can be really, really hated on for not taking sides, too. You know, it's happened since nursery school. It's like we grow up through school and we learn really well how to take sides. So anyway, I I was watching the campaign. And uh, I saw something really interesting happen, and I've talked about this a lot over the last year or so. Um, Alex Jones, who at the time was an alternative media radio host like myself, um, however, he had the highest numbers of all people in our genre. Um, He had millions and millions of of subscribers and listeners and, and was really at the peak of his career. But his message can be really harsh sometimes, and he can rah rah, cheerlead it out. And uh, he's a showman person. Okay. Okay. So he, he really has this, this high velocity of, of ways of delivering. And, you know, all of us do, we all have our own ways of doing radio shows. And um, he had Donald Trump come on the show. So he interviewed Mm -hmm. him on the show, which I thought was really, what? I was really kind of mouth on the floor over that because no presidential candidate has uh, in the Republican or Democratic party has ever done an alternative media interview before that I know of. So mm-hmm. I was really, my, my curiosity was really piqued by this. So Donald got onto the show and he, he spoke to Alex Jones's zillions and zillions of listeners and he said all the mm-hmm. right things and he told them mm-hmm. what they all wanted to hear. And he ignited mm-hmm. the new world order talk that has been pounded into a lot of heads over a really long time through alternative media. And I, some of it's been great and some of it has not been so great. So again, I go back to information and discerning what is what and how you really just can't take everything at face value. You really have to learn to discern. So anyway, you know, once Donald came onto Alex Jones's show, um, he came up here where I live and did a rally and I went to, I went to it just because I really wanted to see it for myself. And Mm -hmm. there was about 40 protesters there, maybe, but there were thousands of people there. He filled our conference center here. And I went Mm -hmm. to the very, very top, and I was watching it all. And then the very next day, our local papers had a huge headline with a picture of these thousands of people walking into the conference center with 
um, the, the headline read something like um, hundreds of protesters show up at the Donald Trump rally. Mm-hmm. And I thought, mm-hmm. how freaking misleading is that? They, I took a picture. I actually have a picture of the protesters section, which was roped off with police tape. And there was literally no more than maybe 40 or 50 people standing there. So it mm-hmm. really comes down to perception and how those in charge or with the power and ability to be able to sway opinions have to be very careful in how they, you know, present something to the public because the public is going to believe them. So if you show me a picture of thousands of people piling in around the conference center and put the word protesters show up in the headline, the immediate assumption is thousands of people showed up to protest. So I just have to, I I think Donald Trump really became um, elevated up to the position. We have to give alternative media much more credit than we do. We don't. And and the minute mainstream media starts to give any credit or acknowledgement to the people like myself and others who have done this for a very long time and have presented a material and content to the public sector that questions the official stories of a lot of things like vaccines mm-hmm. or pharmaceuticals or, or the environment, things, very important topics. We are really setting a really scary precedent because if somebody now can t- say, nope, that content's not allowed, YouTube just purged thousands of accounts and channels mm-hmm. off of their platform because, um, you know, I've watched this happen, especially since Donald got into office, where he's kind of used as the excuse now. Well, he got into office, so therefore we have to erase and get rid of any possible way for anyone else like him to come into mm-hmm. office which really goes yeah. against what we're taught. We're taught that you can become president if you work hard enough and you work, you know, you right. work towards the ideals of our country. That's really not true. You can only really become president if you belong to a handful of elite families in this country. Because mm-hmm. what are the odds that more than one person in a family becomes the president of the United States? Pretty fit, pretty, pretty, right. pretty low, right? Unless, right. of course, right. you're in, in the circle. Okay, so I'm now back on the air starting in July. I will be on KCAA in Los Angeles and Southern California um, for six months. I have a six-month run coming up, and I decided to go back into radio because, well, I have a couple reasons, and they're pretty long, so we might take up too much time. But people can listen to me back on the show, and I'm going to book my own guests and do my own real talk radio about this kind of stuff because – we cannot lose our independent opinions. It is not against the law to express your opinion or how you see things. And what's happening right. is we're starting to see that freedom be reined in diplomatically uh, uh, and systematically. So that's a long rant ab- on ab- how I got <laughs> no, ab- Donald Trump. Absolutely. I mean, it's mm-hmm. whether you uh, like uh Trump style or not, I think people are have been just it's twenty four seven bashing, 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 and then uh, people believe every story. So we got to be and on the other side too, on both sides, 
we've, we've got to be very careful about just believing because people have their own agendas and it's so negative, negative, That's negative. Right. And then uh, people just uh, believe, so easily believe a headline or what they hear. So we really have to, um, I remember a, a friend of mine when uh, Trump was running and she says, well, I just can't stand him. I hate him. And I says, well, have you heard, you know, listened to any of his talks um, or what he's about? She says, no, because I can't stand his voice. So I says, well, then how can you make a judgment on whether you right. like his policies or ideas or anything if you don't listen to it? So I think on, on both sides of the aisle, uh, we should actually listen to that person, what they're saying, go on their website and look instead of just taking, taking the uh, uh, um, opinions for face value of a pundit on television or, or you know, somebody else telling us. Yeah. We have to do our own investigating on, on everything. So, it's um, hard because yeah. a lot of people don't have the time to do the investigating or the research re- right. research part. So they they depend on the nightly national news or they depend on the te- you know the local newspaper or you know some people say well I don't watch yeah. television so nothing bothers me but well hello you know in today's world we are bombarded with information it's probably in your hand more often than not and you know we have laptops and internet and all kinds of ways of getting news and social media you know when it first started I was on it so I was on it when it first mm-hmm. began and I'm on it now still so I've watched the progression of the networking abilities be reined in um, algorithms have taken over a lot of it so if you have really good content or you have a differing opinion you might post things but that doesn't mean that anybody in your friends circle is going to see it because it can just, just go out mm-hmm. distributed to a small percentage of your friends yep. list, yep. if any. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I realized back in 2011, some of my content was, was not really getting the numbers that it used to. And then suddenly mm-hmm. it was getting very little exposure. And then suddenly YouTube demonetized my channel based on ridiculous reasons. And I started to speak up about it, and everybody was just like, oh, Hillary, you're just going on and on. <laughs> you know, come on. It's not personal. <laughs> they really thought I was just making a, a to-do about nothing. But then they, but then things started to happen, and other people started to have the same things happen. And then they started to talk about it. And so I kind of I could relate to that because I, I was like, yeah, that's what they did to me. Yep, that's what happened to my channel. Yep, nobody even knows I'm on YouTube yeah, anymore because yeah. when you Google my name, things don't come up properly so how much power do these tech platforms really have well in today's world right now a lot yeah and people have been shape-shifted and turned into herds of people who depend on well how many followers does that person have well how many Mm -hmm. likes do their things get well, they don't get very yeah. much, so they're, use, they're either useless and discarded or just ignored and discredited simply based on that. But if you look at other statistics as well, you know, our youth is growing up in a social validation system. So if your right. fifth grader or high schooler has a, a, you know, a social media account, doesn't matter which one, uh, trust me, they're, they're getting their little dopamine hits every time they get a like or every time they yeah. don't get a like. You know, the depression is setting in and in and in. So we, we, we've seen increased, uh, you know, youth suicide rates go up. Cyberbullying is a real thing. Anybody who's ever gone up against a crowd online knows exactly what that feels like. So our mm-hmm. social system has been completely changed into a digital infrastructure. And it's easier to control as a digital infrastructure. So I, spent, I do spend a lot of time talking about 
the internet and censorship and, and really to how to be, how to really live consciously in a digital age without falling victim to a lot of these traps that are pure illusion, really. If you think about it, now you're a healing arts person, so am I. So when you look at this yeah. from an energetic or consciousness standpoint, it's really interesting, isn't it? Gosh. It's really interesting and also very distressing with all the trolls and the hate and the anger and the posts. You know, it, it's like you had mentioned in your book at one point that after the election, you couldn't even, it was so, I, I couldn't even look at a lot of the, the feeds because it was so angry and, and um, it's calmed down now. For now, I like the love and light to putting putting out there you know i i like the positive posts and, and things but hillary can you believe that it's on we've already been talking for a half an hour <laughs> yes so my show, i can <laughs> my show's 30, yes my show's 30 minutes and i'll have to have you back on i'm so glad that you're coming back to radio and everybody her website is hillary ramo.com h-i-l-l-a-r-y-r-a-i-m-o.com it's back uh link up at blog talk radio and thank you so much for stopping by you guys pick up her book the hillary ramo show transcripts conversations on technology time travel ets 9-11 and consciousness and the foreword is by best-selling author and award-winning radio show host john saint augustine it is a fascinating book you'll want on your bed nightstand thank you so much hillary and much love everybody Bye. Thanks, Marla. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.